one. It was a mistake. Was about it, but I just wanted to bring you in. It's something I've been working on, Dustin Kava, and welcome everyone to Because Cannabis from Wayward Media. I've been listening to some past shows, Dustin Kava, and I found myself saying too many uhs between words. It's a skill set. Right. It's a skill set. Learning to do this, talking professionally. There's all sorts of skill sets you got to learn. Uh, do you think about that, Dustin? Do you review the tape? Do you go back like a like the professional fine tuned podcaster you are sleep all day, talk all night, that kind of vibe? Do you go through it and watch the tape, break it down, chart the notes, see who's what dialogue <laughs> how much time? Like, is that something you do or do you just show up right when the show starts and work your magic? What kind of vibe are you rocking, Dustin? Oh no, I like being prepared. I love having all the 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 hours and hours ahead of time to to read and watch and and learn. I uh I I always feel that a lot of our guests and stuff have to have the same conversation every time that they come on a show. And so I kind of like that idea of building off of something that was said a couple weeks ago or a month ago from them and and starting <laughs> yeah. I always go back. Good question. When someone says good question, I don't know if they're just being nice or polite, but that kind of makes my heart a flutter. Welcome, everyone, because cannabis every single Wednesday on YouTube, 4.20 p.m., produced by Wayward Media. And then the following day, the following day, those guests we just launched on Spotify, video podcasts on Spotify. So please head over to Spotify. Give us a follow. We would definitely appreciate that. We are available anywhere that you listen to audio podcasts. Brand new shows every Wednesday, 4.20 p.m., and then, of course, audio everywhere else. Uh, Speaking of heart, a flutter, Dustin. My wife's been trying to get me to eat some new foods. She's been kind of experimenting with different things. Uh, And so, basically, she's found different ways to take meat products, right? Meat products and serve them with different sides. And I don't know if I like it or not. So, first, let me settle the debate. And clearly, I could hit Google, but I'm here right now with you, Dustin Kava. Maybe I'll even ask our guest uh, all the way from Puerto Rico today for you listeners from Because Cannabis. What exactly the fuck is kibasi? I don't even know what it is. Is it sausage? <laughs> Not really sure what exactly kibasi is. Uh, so can you help me out? So what my wife's been doing, right? Think about this, Dustin. She's been going through and taking kibasi and like putting it on different ways. She makes like the Madison special full of tons of cheese. She makes like all the Chicago special with like pickles and such. There's all these different things that are happening inside the kibasi and i don't really know if i like pre-packaged meat i think that's where my issue is casings mm. i think my issue is watching too many bizarre foods with andrew Zimmerman <laughs> or anthony bourdain <laughs> how stuff works or that podcast you love to send me like, why can't we be more like this show we're not dustin we are because cannabis from wayward media i don't like when meat gets put into casings. How are you feeling about organic casings that contain meat byproducts? <laughs> or is oh, I, 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 <laughs> uh, I love a good meat casing. Uh, who doesn't love it? I cannot bring her <laughs> with that question. I thought I'd bring her awkwardly. That is too awkward no. to talk about meat casings, but it has been, um, yeah, I don't know. Are you a new food person? Do you experiment? Do you explore? Or are you like tried and true? I'm no, I'm a pure comfort food guy and I always need comforting. So I am like the the mashed potatoes and the 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 pastas and the the breads. I, I keep it simple. Keep it simple. Uh Sarah Ratliff, do you keep it simple? When it comes to cuisine, you are <laughs> in Puerto Rico right now, and we are but like really a bash in the kibasi. Like literally, they take you know dough and wrap it around kibasi and call it a pierogi. It's another word. I don't really know exactly what it means, but it's a bunch of more stuff inside of another casing, whether it's dough casings or meat casings. Uh, but you come from a country rich in like culture and food. Do you sometimes uh when you travel abroad when you get back here? Look, there are chickens in the background, people. That's <laughs> Ratliff, uh, when you come to American, uh, back to America, when you come to America, do you like to indulge in like fatty, greasy, delicious American foods? Or as someone who lives on a farm, who has chickens and goats and lives in a country free of probably less Chick-fil-A's, I'm going to imagine, in Puerto Rico per square block than we have here <laughs> in Ohio. Uh, do you like the American kind of greasy, fatty foods or do you like the more organic, fresher uh, foods of your culture? Definitely the latter, but I should explain that I'm actually not Puerto Rican. 
No, break it down. Yeah. We just made up some broad assumptions and made an ass of me. And <laughs> no, 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 no. So uh, I'm going to – SarahRouse.com. That's a great segue, Sarah. <laughs> As a student of journalism that you are, uh, we'll learn a little bit about your history. You can go to SarahRouse.com and check it out. Tell us, uh, Sarah, tell us about yourself a little bit. So I grew up in New York and to two parents. So I look Puerto Rican. I don't know if it's okay to say, but I'm actually biracial. My mother was black. My father was white. Actually, my mother was black and Japanese. And my father was white. So I grew up in New York and both my parents were writers. My father was with ABC News. My mother was with The New Yorker and The Atlantic. And I went to journalism school. So we can get into that like sort of later. But um, so I grew up on, on American middle class, American cuisine, um, meatloaf, uh, chicken cacciatore, you know, tuna casserole, you know, the, the, the staple of the, the sort of a middle class American diet and um, hot dogs every once in a while. My parents. There's those meat casings. How you feel about the meat casings? Controversial? Do we do we like it? Where do, where's your where's your radar tick on the meat casings, Sarah? Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to throw a kibosh into the whole thing. Or what is that? A monkey wrench. I'm actually a vegetarian. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Casings? Yeah, well, I'm not really, no, no, not really. Like, I, I didn't do the sausage. My father, my father was German. Oh, my father was kielbasa then. Yes, oh. deep into the kielbasa. What were we going to say? <laughs> nothing, no, 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 nothing at all. Yeah. Like, blood sausage. My father was into blood sausage. And I mean, and I, so being the vegetarian I am, I would look at this thing. And even after it was cooked, it was still bloody. And I was like, I don't understand. It's still cooked. I mean, it's still bloody. I don't understand. It's, it's already cooked. So that kind of turned me off of eating meat. Um, so I have chickens for eggs, but not for, not for meat. Sorry. I think that's all right. I think that's fantastic. Thank you, Sarah Ratliff, sarahratliff.com uh, for joining us. You are a I don't know. When you describe yourself, you know, you talk about you are obviously a farmer living out there. You're a cannabis content creator. You've been able to uh, produce content, you know, articles and such that have been in a ton of great, well-respected magazines, Big Bud, Civilized, Mary Jane, High Times, Dope, all the other words that are around cannabis that they named the magazine after, whatever they are. <laughs> I mean, literally, let's let's do some originality, people. Uh, anyway, uh, you've been in a lot of cannabis magazines, do online writing, and I know you work uh, for past guest Angela Mays as well, helping in those areas. Um, when did this journey start from like journalism, you know, into cannabis journalism? That's maybe a broad story, but uh, it sounds like you went to journalism, went there. But when did you pivot, so to speak? When did you make that adjustment and then get into and start focusing on cannabis content creation? So, yes, I went to journalism school and um, I worked at CBS radio. So one of the biggest markets in the country. And I was well on my way to being a writer when uh, honestly, I loved the work I did. I was working uh, with reporters. I was I was figuring out, you know, whether I wanted to be a sports writer, whether I wanted to be a news writer or more like feature stories. I was trying to figure out, you know, where my niche was. But I didn't really like the industry It was really, you know, and I'm. I'm not young, so I'll tell you that that I worked at a time when women were just really breaking into sports writing. So that kind of gives you an idea of of my age, my age bracket, and um, and you know, women were having a really hard time getting into to all this because you know of the industry it was pretty misogynist back then. And so I left. I actually left journalism. Um, I was going to a pretty prestigious journalism school, and and I left and um, got into marketing and. Stayed in marketing for years. I was doing marketing for small startups, and then eventually I went to biotech, Amgen, and so that that kind of that that brought me into DC, where I met my husband, and then uh, eventually I moved to California to be with him. And then um, while while we're at Amgen, uh, my husband says to me, "You know what? I think that we're kind of spinning our wheels. What do you think about just saying no to the corporate world?" no to the to the to the house to the to the mortgage what do you say about just going and getting a farm and i was like bet let's do it so <laughs> why not uh he was working at it at amgen as well and and he said you know what let's let's just take a chance so we quit our jobs we sold our house in southern california at this point we're now living there and and we moved to puerto rico and we bought a farm and <sighs> We literally reinvented ourselves. I kid you not, we reinvented ourselves. And then one day, as we're on the farm, I just start writing. And I'm like, oh my God, 
I really remember what I loved about being in journalism school and working in journalism. It wasn't the atmosphere, it was the actual writing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I just, I don't know, I hung my shingle out, you know, writer for hire, hey, I'm here. And, um, and so I started writing and at, initially I wasn't writing about cannabis. Now here's the funny thing. I grew up at a time, the just say no, cannabis is a gateway drug. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I'm, I'll share some personal information. My brother, when I was 14, my older brother OD'd on Coke and PCP. And my parents used it as a, as a segue to see yeah. weed is a gateway drug. This is what can happen to you. So I was scared to death of cannabis yeah, for decades, scared. And then fast forward to 2016. So we moved here in 2008 and fast forward. And I'm at this point, you know, I'm writing about everything. I'm writing about addiction. I'm writing about mental health. I'm writing about physical health. I'm, you know, we're on a farm. I'm writing about sustainable agriculture. And then my doctor says to me, um, I have a bad back, by the way. So I have a really bad back. I had an accident when I was 18 and I fractured my back. And, and so I've been on various pain pills, you know, prescription pain pills. Sure. And my doctor says to me one day, Puerto Rico is about to legalize medical cannabis. I want you to get your head out of your butt thinking that it's, that it's, that it's an addictive drug. And I want you to get a medical marijuana card. How? What a very huh. forward thinking doctor. You don't hear I, that. I got to say, no, well, not at all. And hear the opposite. Like you have, we so many standard doctors or different institutions ban their physicians from even mentioning it. And so it's mm -hmm. all kind of independent doctors, which also raises, you know, the legitimacy issue. They're mm -hmm. clearly licensed physicians, but they all have to be independent. If you're part of the major chains, they're like, no, no, no. So to have a doctor say, yeah. you know what, Sarah, like, think about it. you're on the opioids of backs there. And to being a country also, that's not already, you're not in like California, which had legal cannabis in 96. I mean, they're exactly. new to this. So that's really mm -hmm. an interesting introduction. Yeah. Yeah. And she sent me studies showing that cannabis can, can alleviate things like epilepsy, that it can shrink tumors. She was talking about shrinkage of tumors back in 2015. I mean, she was talking really major stuff and how it can help people with Parkinson's. And she said, and by the way, it can really help with chronic pain. So I said, okay, you know, I listened to her. Well, it also helped that my husband was really pushing me too. I mean, he was saying, look, you know, the opiates are not good for you. I mean, I wasn't doing them every day. I was doing them more like once every two weeks, you know, when pain got really bad, but he was saying, you know, this is not, not good stuff for you. So, um, I'll tell you, I found relief right away. It was like, it was dramatic. I, so I, I coming from being so terrified for your whole life and having even the first, second and third experiences be so positive, you know, I guess the first time smoking is not always positive. Yes. You may get that relief, but there's, there's, it's so much at, that you, you know, at once, um, I, that's a pretty incredible experience to to just right off the bat be like, holy smokes, this actually is helping me. This this is something I think I might want to pursue. What um what ways are you comfortable? Is it do you smoke? Do you usually eat it in an edible? You know, is um is you know are the norms different in Puerto Rico? You know, um, no. yeah, I just so sure. what what do you like to do? So I it. Cannabis has definitely been an evolution for me. I mean, I started doing everything that other people did. I did the tinctures, I did the edibles, I did the combustibles, um, I, I did uh, vaping. You know, I mean, I did, I did it all pretty much. And now I've, I'm at a point where I'm just doing like a. I, I don't do that much actually. I do um, a five milligram tincture at night before I go to bed, and then I smoke two bowls of. Uh, do you know the plenty? It's it's. Um, you know the plenty, yeah. Uh, so, I love the plenty. Yes, I love the plenty. On, I smoke three bowls of that. I gotta explain. Let's let the uh, let me let me know. Yeah, you know. So do you know uh, stores in Bickle the uh, the volcano? Yes. So it's it's a vape essentially, but this oh. vape kind of looks like a bicycle pump, and at the end there is a cooling coil, a very long, almost mouth straw, and the way the air follows through that coil, it actually produces such an effect with the throat and the way the vape is in general. It is probably one of my absolute favorite devices to ever use. 
It is cost effective. It will smack you on your ass if you needed to. And it just, but it's, it's large and bulky, you know, and used to, when I used, when it wasn't so free out in, in, in Ohio. Oh shoot. And uh, give me one second. Oh my, Dustin, putting it into hold on. I, I, I think I found it here. Dustin doing like one oh one. What is he doing here? Kill me. Is this the device you're talking about right here? I'm going to bring this up on screen if you're watching us. That's a volcano. Okay. And then that's that's the so that that one. It, I I liken that to a hookah, uh, kind of like you can a bunch of people can smoke on it at a time. But the plenty is definitely so. If you do stores in Bickle, if you go to their site and then you go, yep. Yeah, so that's the one on the end. So it's the one on the end. Yeah. The, 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 so, oh, here we go. The yeah. Oh, look at this thing. It's beautiful. So all it gives you is the essence of the cannabis. So it gives you the terpenes and the cannabinoids and it gives you the essence. So you don't, so it's kind of weird because if you don't know that, that if somebody doesn't know you're smoking out of a plenty, all they see is just a little puff coming out. You know, it's not like a big amount of smoke, like a, like one of those vape pens. It's nothing yes, like that. Like you have this plume, right? This cloud, like yeah. cumulus that comes out of there. Cumulus, but it's, it's exactly the opposite on this is like very little, you see the coil. So it, there's a heating element in there and it just, you put in a dried flower and you grind it up like every, like everything else, like a joint and you put in the dried flower. And then next thing you know, you know, you take a hit and you, okay. So the, the, you see the dial on there. So it tells you the temperature Yes. Technically, uh, to decarboxylate, I, I can say that word 10 times fast, you have to get to 395 <laughs> degrees. But, you know, because stores in Bickle is German and they have a sense of humor, it goes to 420. <laughs> No, well played. Well played. That's S T O R Z B I C K E L dot com. Stories of Bickle. Uh, we're on, if you're watching us on video on Spotify or YouTube, you can see it right now. We're looking at the plenty. That is an amazing. Sarah, book. I am so proud of you. I just want to give you a hug. I am so happy you use this thing. It really is. It is. I, I used to carry that thing in my trunk and specifically because when the cops would lift it up, I'd be like, oh, that's just the air compressor to fill up my tires for my car. Yeah, it looks exactly like you find it. Oh, and you know what? That thing's been out unchanged for over 10 years. They haven't changed not one thing about it. And it still is one of the best in the market. It still will outperform almost any new device, certainly in that price point. So I am just, oh my gosh. Okay, back back. <laughs> it's, it's, it is real, and, and like you, I've I've had like I traveled with it one time, and I had my bags rummaged through at at at, uh, at the airport, and they were like, "What is this?" And I said, "It's an air compressor." I said the exact same thing that you did, and they said, "Oh, okay," and they put it away. They didn't even. Th- <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna think. Oh, yeah. it's amazing uh, for that. Do you do you find that you know? After you started smoking, um, you know, later on in life, what made you actually want to start writing about it then? Or, you know, speaking in the industry in any capacity, what what about it is you write about a lot of technical things and your writing is actually pretty awesome. It's it's and, and you actually get to write about a lot of unique stuff, scientific stuff, business stuff, stuff about, you know, survival stuff, even in the in music. And then you just, you have this, this huge umbrella that you, that you kind of work within. What made you want to gravitate towards to cannabis? You know, I'll tell you plant medicine. That's right. Is, yeah. Been- like, yeah, it's a stoner. It's always this I don't know. It's got this cartoonish aspect to it or this extremely dry, super scientific thing. Yeah. And I'm anything but scientific. I'll I'll tell you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a, my mother used to call me more animated than a cartoon character. Like I'm very, (laughs) very, very animated. And so, but I'll tell you, cannabis was really life altering for me. I mean, because I had gone 30 years believing that cannabis was this gateway drug, that it was that it was addictive. And so once I tried it and realized, no, I can go up and down in, in my usage and it doesn't and I'm not craving it the way my mother told me that I would be craving it, that it would be like addictive the way that I was told it would be. And then once it was life altering 
I realized I have to write about this. I have to write about this. I have to share my experience. And at first I was just writing about the medicinal benefits. And then because of the way that I am, I'm kind of an immersive writer where initially I would tell you, okay, well, you know, it's just the medicinal benefits. And I'm, and I'm, you know, we talk about the adult use versus or the recreational use versus medicinal use. And I'm of the opinion that all cannabis usage is medicinal, whether you are yes. thinking of it in terms of recreational or not. It is because we have this amazing endocannabinoid system and that that the cannabis does too, that it just complements us. And we all have this really unique cannabinoid system and so does cannabis, so do different strains of can cannabis. So I'm realizing that it's not just, okay, like all strains affect us the same way or that, that the strain, say I use um, Moneymaker, you know, or, or I use Afghan Kush, it may not affect you the same way that it affects me. And people are thinking maybe in terms of, okay, I'm couch locked, but then what's going on inside the body is amazing. You know, what, how it, like I also have asthma and it, it has taken away my asthma. And that was something that was completely not what I was thinking about. I wasn't even thinking about asthma. I was thinking about pain. And then the next thing I know, it's like my lungs are clear and I don't need any more uh, pharmaceuticals. And then I started to look at like, Okay, how I got how I got into tech writing about cannabis was I started to think because this is what I do when I get immersed into a, a topic is that I start to think about all areas of it and I started to think about the ancillary side of the business and point mm. of display systems and BHO extraction and then I started like going down this rabbit hole and then suddenly now I'm writing about the tech side of the industry and then I'm writing then somebody mentioned to me one day um, social equity. And I was like, what is social equity? I know what social equity is, but how does it relate to cannabis? And so I went down another rabbit hole yes, and then one. it's a bit, and it's, it's a, it's an ever evolving rabbit hole. Yes. I think policy in general is an ever evolving rabbit hole. So then I, I started looking into that and I, I got brazen. And at this point I'm only pitching like dope and big buds and, you know, those, you know, real cannabis, like really like the backbone of cannabis high times to me, the kind of the backbone of cannabis, especially in the early days. And then I, I got brazen and I pitched because I'm from New York City and I pitched the Village Voice, an article about social equity. And to my surprise, they said yes. And I was like, oh shit, now I've got to write this article about social equity. <laughs> I don't know jack shit about social equity. So I, to, like, I mean, I knew it on, a, on a, like a surface level, but I really had to like really, you know, delve deep into social equity. And when I saw it, when I saw it actually came out in print, I was like, oh my God, I guess they liked it. So, <laughs> so I started writing a lot about that. And then I met Angela, the blunt accountant, and, you know, she's an accountant, a cannabis accountant. So then I started taking a stab writing about cannabis accounting. And by the way, I can't add beyond two and two without a calculator. So, you know, I work for an accountant and it's kind of strange because she adds in her head and I'm still sitting there like this, and, uh, you know, but so that's how I, that's kind of how I do, do things. I really immerse myself in the topic. It's a interesting world, right? Trying to be in cannabis, trying to be in cannabis journalism, trying to write about cannabis because kind of what Dustin was alluding to, they, you have to find your audience and there are so many people who want to read about the plant and the strains and the terpenes, but then you get really scientific and maybe they tune out a little bit. And there are mm -hmm. people who want to embrace the legacy and they're like, you know what? Screw all your science. I'm tired of all this update and I'm tired of technology. We don't need anything but sun and water and dirt. That's all I need, right? So yeah. when you try to start a piece or maybe get into the research as someone who writes and maybe we should think about this more dustin our audience like do you think about the audience and the content you're putting out do you try to not find an angle uh, but do you have typically a through line that you're trying to get out is it case by case for example social equity versus you know <laughs> counting but or do you have you know this push between say destigmatization or you know legalization or social equity which seems to come up in every piece or sometimes is it best to just nerd out stay science and not touch about all aspects like how do you balance when you write a piece the science the legacy the social problems like how is that in every piece you write how do you balance all those different aspects of it some of that comes when I, so the majority of writing that I do now are reported pieces, meaning that I'll interview people and I'll include their comments in the article. So part of what happens when I, when I figure that out is that I, or part of figuring that out is 
figuring out who their audience is. So if I'm writing about social equity, then I try to think about who their, their client is. So if I'm writing about a dispensary who had a hard time opening up, or if I'm writing about the, the inequities of the law, I think about the, about the article from their point of view and their, their customer's point of view. And so I always have a persona in my mind, whether I write about sustainable agriculture, I write about natural healing, it, whatever the topic is, I always have a persona in my mind. And I always think, okay, if I write to this person, almost like writing a letter, if I'm writing to mm -hmm. this person, then I can A, stay focused, but also B, having somebody in mind keeps me focused and keeps me on track versus if I don't have a specific person in mind, I'll kind of go all over the place. I'll go out in left field, I'll come back, but this kind of keeps me focused and remind, I have to constantly remind myself as I'm writing who I'm writing for, not so much about, but who I'm writing for. Hmm. How do you kind of, oh, uh, no, go on. I had no point. <laughs> how do you, how do you balance that need to have the information be accurate, but at the same time kind of be, pushing something forward, pushing the destigmatization of it, uh, you know, pushing that social equity awareness. How do you balance all of that in, in the articles? How do you process that when you go to sit down and write and you say, this is the important bits of this, and this is how I want to, this is the voice I want to speak it in and why? Um, part of that comes from, analyzing the previous articles that publication has put out. So I get a real sense of the boundaries I can push and the boundaries I can't even come close to pushing. I never so, even thought about that, that that you are writing for an organization. There is another umbrella over Sarah. And so that means that yeah. not only is are you speaking almost as them in their voice, even though it's you writing it, Wow, I never, yeah, there are, there would be a lot of boundaries and certain things that might be okay with one organization, but not okay with another. Exactly, exactly. I had, I had a similar issue, not in cannabis, but last year I wrote an article about, uh, about sustainable agriculture, about uh, the founder of Echo Hip Hop. His name is DJ Kabum. And I had originally written that article for one magazine and they, they were, they were paying, you know, a decent amount of money. So I had to, I had to really, be mindful of their boundaries. But one of the things I hadn't counted on is even though they were that magazine, which I won't mention by name, was um, trying to open up and be less about entrepreneurial entrepreneurship and try to be more about sustainable agriculture, there, the editor told me, look, our advertisers won't allow you to say certain things. So... <laughs> And I had crossed a boundary. I had crossed a line. And so I, I, I said, you know, I don't think this is the piece for you. They killed it. They paid me a kill fee. And then I went in search of a, an actual sustainable agriculture publication. And I could push those boundaries with them. And in fact, they were really open to me pushing boundaries with them. It ended up getting published in Green America. And working with that editor was amazing because uh, she, this was kind of her first real like story about hip hop, I mean, because they had really talked about, you know, the sustainable agriculture more sort of like the the the, the white sustainable agriculture, which is very different. You know, I'll, I'll just say there are definitely diff differences in culture uh, sure. when it comes to agriculture. When it comes to a lot of topics, um, there are differences. So I was, she worked with me. She really did. Like initially she said, I don't know if our editors, I don't know if our, if our advertisers will go for this. And so there was a bit of massaging back and forth. We came to a really good place where the where the subject of the piece, DJ Kavum, Green America and I were all very, very, very happy with where how it turned out. And I know I pushed the envelope with them. They, I was, I pushed them to a level of, of discomfort. And she said it ended up being one of the best articles they've they've seen. I'm not, it's not, nothing to do with my writing. It has to do with me pushing the the envelope, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. It's an interesting thing right now. I just recently attended a conference uh, from, well, shout out to the Jabali Group. The Jabali Group is a group of individuals in Northeast Ohio that is made up of the African-American ownership. 
in Northeast Ohio. So just to give you a reference, Sarah, for numbers here, there are, and there's multiple licensing things here, but just some numbers. There's about 40 cultivators, then it's a licensed medical state. So there's about 40 cultivators, about 50, 60 processors, about say a hundred or so dispensaries, right? So you have all these companies in Ohio. So the Jabali Group is made up of all but one of the African-American ownership in Northeast Ohio, and it's six people. Right. So just to put that in perspective, right, no. it's six people. And so no. clearly out there. So we'll shout out Nicole Ross of Nora Labs, Bill Williams, Ben Aleves, uh, Herb Washington, and then obviously uh, Ariana Fitzpatrick, who heads up the group. Okay. She's the CEO. She's the first woman and African-American to be vertically integrated in the state of Ohio. And she makes a big point to put her, for example, cultivation facility in very rural southeastern Ohio, which you don't know this. Maybe it's a very rednecky white area. If we're going to stereotype I real yeah. So she put it there purposely because it's very African-American run and she wants to encourage and, and enhance and right and have those conversations. Sometimes, mm -hmm. as you just mentioned, those uncomfortable conversations. And I think it's something we should talk about a little bit because I think Dustin and I are sure. always at a place to speak from it. But I think it's an interesting push as society and business, right? But there's that gray area because you don't want to mm -hmm. just be the company that tosses up a square on your Twitter profile, whether it's Absolutely. based on race, gender, or education. <laughs> Absolutely. All of these are very underrepresented, not just in Ohio, which they are, sure. but nationally, right? It's a big push. Um, Absolutely. Right now there's lawsuits shutting down the program because of their social Aww. equity movement. So just kind of your thoughts yeah. as someone who's clearly more researched on this than we are, like kind of where we sit, what you've learned, you know, are we improving? I feel like people don't think we are. Like what's it been like your journey in researching uh, the social equity of cannabis and its diversity in ownership, especially? Um, if I'm being honest, I'm I'm very disappointed because um, I look at numbers. You know, I, I follow MJ Biz Daily. I follow all the publications that you two follow. And um, in 2017, we had considerably more Black and women in CEO positions and and owners. Considerably more. I would say almost double. Um, wow. I'd have to look at the figures, wow. but um, I gotta tell you that really. I'm sorry. That really blows my mind. So yeah. what does that mean? Does that mean that they were bought up early on, you know, like vertically integrated into something else? Or does that mean that something else? Um, I think it means that. Uh, so when I wrote the article for the Village Voice, no, I'm sorry, um, that wasn't the Village Voice. When I wrote it for Cannabis and Tech Today, my first piece on social equity for them, I have two other, three other pieces coming out next month. But when I wrote my first piece for them, I love them, by the way. Um, so when I first wrote that article, I interviewed people I had never interviewed before. And one of the women I interviewed said that what happens in this industry, unfortunately, there's we all know there's a predatory side of the industry. And what mm -hmm. happens is, is that many of the investors, many of whom, and I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. I mean, I realize as I'm as I'm going down this rabbit hole, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. But no, it needs um, to be said. Yeah, I think it needs to be said. I think what happens is that um, in many cases, I don't want to say all cases, but uh, the woman I interviewed said, you know what, they, they, she called them they, she said, they're literally waiting three years for us to fail so they can buy our license at pennies on the dollar. And unfortunately, it'll happen because, because we have a system in in going on, which is that not everybody supports black owned businesses or or minority in general or just, you know, I mean, it, it, it black, brown women. Um, we are un underrepresented and we are under supported. And so businesses do fail. And I think that that's part of it. I think, you know, initially we came on the scene. You know, I know I know California uh, legalized for medical use in '96, but really, I, I don't know about you, but I really think of the birth of legal cannabis as as 2012. Yeah, the Washington, um, Colorado. Like, I mean, I know it was there, and there were there was probably I think like nine or ten states that yeah. were medicinal, but everyone, I think 14, especially because that's when sales first started. That's when sales first started. Exactly. 12 is when the bills. Uh, whatever they were called, uh, the initiatives passed in those states. And in 14, both those states started to Colorado, Washington sales. And yes, I agree. I think yeah. it has been, it's a 30 year, give or take legal industry, say yeah. seven years. But yeah. really, I look at it, especially with COVID pigeoned in there as mm -hmm. this decade long legal industry. I think it's about 10 years old. I know there's that time in California, but what was happening in 98, 99, 00, 00. Yeah, 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00. 00.
I'm not, yeah. a, really, I'm not a numbers guy. We'll leave that to Angela Mays, the blunt account and check out. Exactly. Yeah. We're talking with Sarah Ratliff, sarahratliff.com. And some of those articles you just mentioned, they're probably live right now, Sarah. They're probably live right now. If you head to Cannabis and Tech, uh, there'll be links down below uh, for that. But yeah, it's really interesting how, you know, the numbers kind of get funky yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, and I mean, it's not just race. I mean, clearly the, the, um, the number of women in executive positions, both, uh, both in plant touching and ancillary, but I think more in plant touching um, have come down. And that's really, that's, that's disappointing. Um, I mean, you have some states, <clears throat> excuse me, you have some states that are doing better than others as far as social equity and as far as encouraging women and, and people of color to, to enter the industry and also maintain success. Um, but really, when you think about the numbers of, of African-American in particular, we can pretty much name everybody who is really doing well, you know, the yeah. Wanda Jameses, the Tahir Johnsons, we can name them because there aren't that many. I mean, it's, it, there are more, obviously. I mean, they're Whitney Beatty's, they're, they're ton, but the reality is we can name them, yeah. you know, if we really, you know, and it, and it's not as, as, as it's not like, I mean, there are what 30, I'm go guessing off the top of my head, 38 States that are legal for cannabis right now between medical and, and 38 States. Yeah. Something like that. Four U.S. territories, I think, th 38 states and four U.S. territories. And we can still pretty much, you know, we, we I would have to write it down and, and see how many. But, I mean, the number is still small. And that's that's disappointing because we're almost 10 years into almost, sorry, almost, almost, I can't add. We're almost 10 <laughs> years. We're, we're 10 years, I could add. And for all your adding needs. Yes. Thank you, Angela. Um <laughs> Yeah. And it's, 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 it is sad. I mean, um, yeah. and, and yeah, it's what it is. What, what do you think would be the best way to support them? The industry always seems so siloed, meaning that like yeah. everybody either says, Ooh, I have this patented process that makes me so unique and so different or, um, or there's just this secret or this dick swinging that's going on with every one of these companies. And what do you think is the best way to support minority-owned business in the industry? I, I I don't I think it's more than just buying their product. I think that yeah. okay. the actual industry itself needs to support them, support them with research, support them with better everything, though yeah. everybody that surrounds them. So where do you think what if if we were to, yeah, what what do you think would actually push that needle forward a little bit? Wow, that's a really, it's a loaded question because I think it's multifaceted. I think that, um, I mean, it, 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 I'll say this, if, if cannabis were in a silo all by itself, I would say, oh, we can probably tackle this problem, but it's not. I mean, racism and sexism are, are huge just in general. In, yeah. In, in, yeah, and so I don't know, I mean, Dustin, you had some good thoughts. I mean, certainly supporting in, in, in um, I mean, for one thing, investments. Investments, that's, that's a big deal because who ends up approaching people of color who are, are, are plant touching business owners? Uh, sometimes they're predatory lenders. And yeah, that was a, a large conversation at that convention or this group I mentioned was uh, it's not the entry level positions, there's lots of, not lots of, but there is mm -hmm. more and more people of color and women and getting into entry level positions and such, uh, it's ownership and what Herb Washington mm -hmm. West mentioned, it's, it's capital, right? He was fortunate. He's a very, he was already a franchisee owner of McDonald's. Mm -hmm. He had capital coming into it and everyone on the stage admitted, look, we had some capital, but the problem is the younger folks out there who don't have that investment, don't have that capital, you're going to end up working for the machine, right? For the man, yeah. so to speak, in the in the figurative yeah. sense or literal sense mm -hmm. in this case. Mm -hmm. But uh, what happens is, you know, it's a better job. I'd rather work at a little bit higher wage at Cannabis Place A than McDonald's, clearly. I mean, I think that's for a sure. fun job, but sure. it still is entry level. And while cannabis does have a much higher upward mobility as compared mm -hmm. to, you know, compared to a lot of industries and the educational barrier is mm -hmm. a lot less. You don't have to typically have a master's or bachelor's even to be Agreed. very successful. You don't need anything, yeah. right? No. At minimum, typically a GED to get employment, and then you can make very quickly a decent salary sure. at investment dollars. I think that's where you're at. It's that investment dollars 
that really struggles. And then it's that same thing in, in sports. Yeah. For example, You're a sports person, Sarah Ratliff, sarahratliff.com. You know, ownership at the level of sports is very low. Coaching's getting better, yeah. but ownership is very low. Ownership is an old white person's industry. Sure. Michael Jordan's leaving ownership. They're losing one of the African-American yeah. owners recently. So that's even less. And you got the people that are bidding for teams are Jeff Bezos, right? He doesn't, he's billionaires. You got to be a billionaire already. Yes. How do yes. we, and it's hard to solve, and maybe it's just a it question. How do you, how do we help that? How do we, listeners here on Because Cannabis Wayward Media, how do we try? Is it just simply purchasing, or do we have to get our fingers working on the internet and social media? Like, what is, I know there's no great answer, but if you've thought about and researched or heard from other industry experts, what are some paths maybe? Uh, I think part of part of it is is you know you two you two are making a big difference. I mean, I've been I, I, the, yeah five yeah yeah, yeah. producer, <laughs> but cut that clip, put it down. SarahRaliff.com. That's if we had a movie poster, we were changing the world. That's what I just took you back. I, I pretty much absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you you two. Um, I mean, I say that in all sincerity, not just you know, not just because you oh, two are hams. I, I I think you guys are amazing. Thank you, Sarah. We're so happy to have you on. Oh, thank you. And and you know, you do. You are. Um, you know, you had Angela on, and you know, you, you. That was the first episode I've ever seen of yours. Now I've seen multiple episodes, <laughs> and you're really, you know, you really treat treat everybody exactly the same. And I and I think that that. More of that is what we need. More, more of that is what we need. And I think more articles highlighting the, the, the issues. Um, I mean, I think that's part of why I write about social equity is I really want people to have some awareness about it. I mean, I still can only write about it to a degree. I still have to keep the boundary. But I'll tell you, I mean, more and more publications are open to talking about social equity. But it's not just social. Like, see, social equity is a very broad topic because it's not just about supporting the black and brown owned uh, licensees. It's, it's also about money that goes back into to certain neighborhoods and certain. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's a big, that's a big issue Isn't too, because the sales pitch of legal cannabis community it's, tax dollars like Colorado. So that's my problem with the industry is they use that pitch, but they don't even, they don't embody it in any of the way that actually represents change. It's, cut a $3,000 check or a ten, you know, a $1,000 check to some other organization that is not really even part of the community or that surrounds them necessarily, or it's something else. It's, it's, it's taboo. You can't, for example, I know very personally, and maybe you've had this issue, either one of you, Dustin is a store owner in your community or uh, Sarah, like for example, where I work, we've tried to do various child centric nonprofit things. Coats for kids, pretty simple, big thing in you. That part we called coats for kids. Yeah. We have a lot of people that come through our door. I'm at. We can take. They're like, no, we don't. We're as soon as I said our name, can't. No, we don't want you. So, we had uh, some stigma around even nonprofits that don't necessarily want your dollar. We donated mm -hmm. some. We did a canned food drive. And like any good company, you got to take a few social media pics. Like, if we're gonna do it, let's get a few karma. They didn't want to pose with us in our in our cannabis shirts that I'm actually wearing our Cleveland school cannabis shop. They don't want to pose with us. They were like, yeah, thank you for the, for all the mm. canned foods. Uh, I won't know names please. Uh, but still I was like, it wasn't even that I get it. it I get the, yeah. it, it, for the, it the wasn't stigma. foremost for the altruism of it, but still that is an issue where cannabis companies to Dustin's point, when you donate and I know like Colorado is like, we've raised a billion in tax revenue, but if you, you, they can't build playgrounds with it because they're going to be afraid it's like a weed playground and they get really weird about it and stuff. So yeah, there are these weird <laughs> limitations now. So we don't know if the money is being spent in great areas. Collecting Colorado, thank you for collecting a billion dollars in tax revenue, but <laughs> Ohio's lottery system, I don't know where that money goes because my road's full of potholes and our community's there. So we load of lottery tickets in Ohio and mm -hmm. use is kind of on that program, right? They're like, mm -hmm. hey, we're going to take this revenue they charge you an arm and a leg in these legal states yeah. like just up in michigan they double the price basically of a medicinal patient but that money's great but you know have you ever looked into great we're gonna pop it ever looked into like the money and the tax dollars and where that goes and is it spent are states complaining about where that money is being sent and given i'm sure they are but is that a topic of states adult use there's what now 20 some adult 22 adult use states like is that money being appropriately spent and used? I have no line of sight into that at all. 
I doubt it. Um, so <laughs> I do. I mean, I honestly, like, I'll, I'll tell you where I doubt it. I, I doubt it. it. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote this article last year for this publication called Great Schools, Great Schools that are in Oakland. And the whole article was about the juxtaposition between the closure of schools in Puerto Rico and the closure of schools in Oakland. Puerto Rico has closed 373 schools in the last 10 years, public schools, because wow. of because of lack of attrition. Um, so we have a huge diaspora problem where the best and the brightest, so salaries are extremely low here, like a third to probably a third to a half less than what they are in the States. So for, for everything that goes on, whether you know you work in retail, whether you're a doctor, expect to make a third to a half less than you would in the States. And so, so diaspora is a huge problem. It's always been a problem with Puerto Rico because the, the standard of living is pretty low. So they've closed 373 schools in the last 10 years. And Oakland is going through a similar issue. Now, California, I don't know what kind of tax revenue they're getting from cannabis, but I'm guessing it's pretty pretty high. because because I, I, They're like in the 30%. So they're up there. I think they have up a there. system with some different things. And they have a heavy tax, like a heavy tax on cultivators, a heavy tax on process. They also take tax on the... Um, or the uh, the company level, not just the consumer level. So they tax exactly. both. They tax in both in California. And that's typical of California. I remember that when we lived in California, our California taxes were higher than our federal taxes. Yeah. So I think it's 24%. I think Colorado is like 31. It's, it's in the high 20s. It's, it's in the high 20s. I mean, that, sound, that sounds about right. And you would think that, that, a, that a state with such a high tax base um, and and we also don't, don't think about taxes in terms of like impound taxes, like your property taxes, your um, your uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, sales tax, property tax. Oh, and then what you pay to register your car every year. So that yeah. that also becomes a tax. So California is heavily taxed and the school system, depending upon the neighborhood, is 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 decent, depending upon the neighborhood, of course. But one would think that with that heavy tax base and also the cannabis taxes that are coming in, that they wouldn't be closing schools in Oakland, one of the major cities in California, they wouldn't be closing so many schools. And so it's, it's I don't know, I mean, especially we've got neighboring San Francisco where schools are flourishing. They're doing really well. Is it, is it the change of like Montessori style schools, this, I, this like open enrollment type of laws or something that are causing families to look outward at a different school for, for their children, as opposed to sending them to the public school, or is it just a lack of funds in general in, in the coffers of the state? Um, I think yeah. it's the latter. I think it's the latter because um, when I lived in Southern California, when my husband and I lived there, uh, we would go into various neighborhoods just because, you know, we traveled all over the state and we'd go into various neighborhoods and we would see the dilapidated buildings in, in South Central and East LA, whereas Beverly Hills, they, you know, yeah, I mean, you drive into the city and you see the divide on the highway as you are yeah. entering in there. Exactly. It's, 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 yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that it has, Rooster is very, he, he. he I have he, to he know their names. Good. Before we go on, I have, did you name, do they have names? I have Some to know the little. So, well, so, uh. We're not very imaginative. All the roosters are named <laughs> Rooster Rooster. They're all Rooster Rooster. <laughs> the ducks have more names than the chickens. Like we have um, Patrice and Alfie and Etoile and Gertrude. We have the ducks have more names than the chickens. Sorry. <laughs> Gertrude, I love it. Gertrude, yeah. So I was just look up as you guys were talking. There is uh there's looks like there's about 20 some give or take dispensaries located just in Oakland, right? Just in Oakland. That doesn't count San Francisco, just that. So just in a very super fast uh, internet research because wow. I wanted to see, and there's about 170 give or take, it looks like in the state of California. That's super fast internet research. Don't quote me on that data. Uh while I was listening to Sarah Dustin talk. So you know, there is probably, let's say, a tenth or so, maybe less, or in that kind of Oakland. And I'm going to get more if you get into Frisco. But I have a feeling it sounds like, because I wanted to see, like, are they giving the taxes? It feels like it should be if you have that many dispensaries in that area. Because the point was, I got to assume Oakland's a high cannabis consumption area. 
I'm going to put something. I got to assume it's a high cannabis consumption area, both the Oakland side and the Frisco side. It may be two different, very clientele, but both of those, whether it's Mm -hmm. legacy, kind of lower price or fancy, smancy weed and stuff like that, you know that both of those are high (laughs) consumers. And I would hope, but I don't know how California works, that a proportionate of we will give that percentage back. <laughs> I don't know if that happens. It sounds like more money is going to Frisco, you know, or at least the salaries in those school systems as well, right? The school systems are, you know, you get more money that's, you know, you're pulling from there. But it's an interesting thing and sad to see in that area, especially yeah. with a state like California, which has prided itself on cannabis. The whole yes. price is plummeting out there. So yes. now they're struggling and you're going to lose people, right? You're, you're going to lose people. Major companies, you're doing those things. Uh, as we kind of wrap up here, Sarah, where are you at on big business versus legacy. We talked about this with several of our guests on the show. Yeah. So just, you know, it's a, it's an interesting thing. They both have their their pros. They both have their cons. And for being mm-hmm. honest, good things there. Where do you sit on as the industry evolves? So a couple of things, like how do you feel about both having both markets? Is one going to push the one out? Like that whole conversation, the mm-hmm. battle of legacy versus big cannabis. How do you feel or where do you sit on that battle? Well, I am always going to be pro-legacy. Um, I think that, that um, you know, the war on drugs just decimated, just decimated not only communities of color, but they just, it just, it, it decimated the importance of this, this plant medicine. And as I said, you know, earlier, I think that all use, whether it's recreational or not, is all medicinal use. And I think that to destroy that, that, that market, um, whether we're talking about cannabis being sold in bodegas in, in, in New York City, or we're talking about the Emerald Triangle, whatever we're talking about, to not include the legacy market in, in the legal market. What it tells me is that we're, I mean, I could be wrong, but it, it feels to me like we're moving more toward a Jeff Bezos, Walmart yep. uh, vibe to cannabis. And that, that frankly is scary. That frankly is very scary because um, the legacy market, you know, it has thrived through thick and thin. It has thrived through jailing and, and I mean, you know, incarceration. It's thrived through a lot. And we can't just discount them. I mean, they have to be included. This is my theory. I mean, so um, I'm, I'm definitely, I, I think just in general, I'm more of a mom and pop kind of, kind of person. I mean, I'm more of a, uh, I'm not really into Home Depot. I like to go to my local hardware store. I like to go to my local pharmacy. And they're still, they still exist in Puerto Rico. So I, I love the fact that I can go to my local mm-hmm. pharmacist. I don't have to go to a big name. That's just me. You know, I live on a farm. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I've got, you know, little comfortable 18 acres and we're, we're just chilling by ourselves and we're, you know, we're happy. Um, but, you know, farming is also something that's being consolidated and sque- squeezed out by the Monsantos. And yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not good. It's not good. I mean, we're just, we're all, you know, I, when I think about the legacy market is they're all just, just trying, they're just squirrels trying to get a nut too, just like the rest of us. And there's they, the penalization that's going on. I, I, I'm not into it at all. No. Uh, what do you, th- okay. So that there is some heartbreak when I think of the legacy market. Um, but what are some things that do almost excite you right now? I think the legacy market's going to have a hard time in the future. I just don't think it's going to be a given to them. I think if it was, it would have already been handed to them. They would have already got the funding. They would have. And so as we look towards the future in a more positive light, what are things that you're like, I think this is great about this industry or this in general is really exciting me because it is opening up more opportunities. Um, yeah, what, I want to end it on something a little bit more positive and, and kind of. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that the, that that cannabis still is a growing industry. And the other thing I'd like to do is take a, is take a moment to shout out to all the ancillary businesses as well. I mean, we've been talking a lot about plant touching. Um, yes. Yes, ancillary is huge. You two are ancillary. Angela's an- ancillary. Um, I work with a with a you you've been in touch with her. I work with a, a PR agent, an Oakland-based PR agent, Lori Shepard of Twenty Five Seconds. She's essentially also ancillary. I'm ancillary. There's so many people supporting the plant touching industry that I think that that more needs to be done to to support 
to, I mean, admittedly, we're not subject to the IRC 280 and, and, and the, the crippling tax uh, uh, of the IRC yeah. 280. But there's a whole lot to ancillary. There's, there's a, and some, you know, and, and we're not really acknowledged the same way that plant touching is. Plant touching gets, especially dispensaries, get all the glory. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't because really it's not possible to smoke weed without, without, without plant touching. But I mean, I think that you, Dustin, I think, I think it was you mentioned earlier how, how, how so many businesses are working in silos. And so, you know, somebody comes up with this great, amazing widget, but it's still in that silo and it doesn't make its round to all yeah. of the plant touching or, or all the ancillary. And I think as, Big as the industry is, you know, we their conferences all, you know, MJ BizCon, um, Real Cannabis Entrepreneur Conference. There, there's some really good co conferences around. Um, that's great. It brings people together, and people stay in touch on LinkedIn and all that stuff and all that. But we're not cohesive. It's not a cohesive industry. And, and I mean, there are people, there are pockets of cohesiveness, and there are pockets of, but in general, not really. And I think that that could change. It's it's weird about the industry and cannabis in general. Even the glass blowing community, who were really the forefront legacy market, they created the devices that allowed people to do what they were doing. If there was a new right. material, concentrates, and all this other shit, yeah. it was the glass blowers who developed the means in order to ingest it, to get it in and smoke it. And yes. yet that art form has been hidden. Each glass blower had a certain technique or a certain way of doing things that they would not tell their other glass blower for fear of them copying them and stuff yeah. like that. And so it's not just plant touchers. It's not just people in the soil. It, it really is. It's systemic across the entire industry. And I'm so happy you mentioned the ancillary businesses because to me, they are the, they are the greatest equalizer in in an industry. They are the things that take any minority group, any any disenfranchised group and can in a very short amount of time give them more access to and means to everything that they could ever want for their dreams. And so I, I always I that to me is where I would love to see a lot of these large MSOs and stuff investing in ancillary businesses being started from employees from within their organization in order to pursue this a different way. I don't think that they have to own a cultivator, a cultivation, you know, facility to really exactly. take part and make a difference in this, in this industry. And yeah, the ancillary businesses have so much less barrier to entry and so much more capital behind it. And so much more, there's just, there's a lot of power there. So I really hope that you inspired somebody out there yeah, to kind of look that. towards that. I hope so, because I think a lot of people do focus when they want to enter the industry. And I know we have we probably have to go, but I, I think people do focus on on getting into plant touching. But because is, there isn't that barrier to entry with ancillary, I tell people all the time, you know what? You don't necessarily have to work at a dispensary. And you know what? You don't even have to own a dispensary because mm -hmm. truthfully, the the amount to get in just to do the license is so expensive. So save your money save the glory, get into yes. a point of display system or get, become an accountant yes. or become a writer. I mean, we all serve a huge purpose in this industry and the industry is, is large, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Uh, we've been agreeing with you this whole conversation, Sarah Ratliff. Sarah yeah, Ratliff, you are amazing. Great Aww, thank thank you. you so much for joining us today. Thank you for hanging out with us a little bit. Uh, you. you can find a lot of great articles Sarah's done as we talked about Big Bud, Civilized Mary Jane, High Times, Village Voice, Cannabis and Tech. Got some articles, some new stuff uh, right now if you want to head over and check that out. Uh, SarahRatliff.com. There's a link in there. We got some books you've been putting out. You also uh, are for hire if you need online business manager. Sarah Ratliff has got your Aww. back. So SarahRatliff.com. Check out that link sarah thank you uh very much thank for joining you. us today we really appreciate you having thank on you so much for having thank me you. on i really enjoyed meeting both of you thank you and we've I, i've loved this conversation thank you thank i really you. hope we can see you soon and talk to you soon we will dustin we'll see sarah soon uh you guys that listen if you enjoyed that conversation make sure you hit subscribe and then make sure you turn those notifications on so you get highlights of when our next shows are coming up we've had a lot of great guests come up recently we just finished our 420 special four hours and 20 minutes of live content we hope you enjoyed that one as well give us a subscription don't forget we're on spotify now everywhere you listen to audio but specifically spotify with video 
every Thursday, brand new shows every Wednesday at 4.20 p.m. on YouTube. Dustin Kava, always great to see you. Uh, everyone else, we'll see you guys next week. Take care.